welcome to the Troy Needle Show. Right now we're welcoming Lisa Mednick Powell. Reading some really cool stuff and hopefully we can get her to play some music. This works. So far so good. Okay, so I'm going to first read a poem by William Stafford at the bomb testing site. I think about this poem a lot because um, we live, I live in 29 Palms with my husband and Kip, and we are very close. We can see the marine base from our house, and um, <clears throat> we can, um, we sure can hear them. Um, and, uh, and you know, there are bombs and guns and various sort of other ordnance. But, you know, this is probably from earlier bomb testing. At the bomb testing site. At noon, in the desert, a panting lizard waited for history, its elbows tense, watching the curve of a particular road as if something might happen. It was looking at something farther off than people could see, an important scene acted in stone for little selves at the flute end of consequences. There was just a continent without much on it, under a sky that never cared less. Ready for a change, the elbows waited, the hands gripped hard on the desert. Bad, this is called a bad environment for musicians. Okay, this is just a little story, something that happened. It is close to midnight, July 6, 2019, and I'm sitting on a bench outside the ER on White Feather Road in Joshua Tree. At this time, we are supposed to be finishing up a gig in jo at the Palms in Wonder Valley, but that show didn't happen tonight. We never made it to the Palms. We got diverted to the America's Best Value Motel on Highway 62 by a phone call from a friend who asked us to check on the other friend who we'd brought over there the evening before and who, who we'd checked on earlier that day at that same motel. We got to his room this evening and started knocking. It was 5.30. We could hear, through the tinny door, the bedside alarm blaring. We kept knocking. The alarm kept blaring. We yelled for our friend, hey Dee, you in there? Nothing. We banged with our fists. Nothing, nothing but the alarm. The word unresponsive began to hiss in the back of my head. No, get out. It's the heat. I began to wilt, crumble. I retired to the van, which was full of our gear, to wait with the motor running. I knew this was a bad thing to do, but I do it, did it anyway. I needed a microclimate right then. Maybe I was still fooling myself into believing we were going to play our show. We called our bandmates several times and went through the series of bulletins beginning with, 
we're running late and ending with we're not going to make it but we'll pay you anyway we used the motel room phone to call an ambulance and canceled our show because when D finally came to the door, he could hardly walk. He was feverish and weak and clearly very ill. That motel room had not been a good environment for him after all. We followed the ambulance to the hospital and they took him right away to the back. After a little while, they let Kip go back there with D. I waited in the ER waiting area and the hours ticked by while I waited for some word about our friend. Kip sent me a few vague texts, but there wasn't much news over the hours. I decided to sit outside for a while. While earlier I'd been fainting from the heat, I was now succumbing to the extreme air conditioning in the hospital and I thought that frost was forming on my face. <laughs> I sat on my bench and all was serene, for a time, until a cop car pulled up and discharged a large boxy individual who had streaks of house paint on his clothing. Now this was not the look of someone who'd been busy painting his crib. The wide brush strokes of green and red were deliberate and long, extending from the cuffs of his jeans to his shoulders. The colors were not true colors, they were like oops paint. You know, the kind of cans you can buy cheap when someone screwed up an order at the paint counter. He didn't see me, or did not seem to see me, which was good. I didn't have to hide. He began orating to the general air around himself while the police car sat and idled. Another cop came over. Where did he come from? and leaned in to speak to his colleague. They seemed entirely unconcerned with this erstwhile passenger who wobbled for a moment and then came to a standing position just outside the sliding automatic doors to the emergency room. I just helped bury a body, said the painted man. I didn't help them kill the guy. I helped the Hells Angels bury a body. They told me he was a child molester and a sex offender. Anyway, I had nothing to do with killing him. I just helped bury him. This painted man just sort of trailed off. He was looking at nowhere. The cops continued chatting one at the wheel of the SUV, and one leaning in the window. I continued being a statue on a bench. Painted man moved a few feet closer to the glass doors. Then the icy vacuum opened its doors and swallowed him. I sent my husband a text. What's happening? He came out and told me Dee was being admitted to the hospital. I could go back and see him now if I wanted. As I walked through the waiting room, I saw no sign of the painted man. He just disappeared. <laughs> you really painted a picture with that. <laughs> a painted man buried a body. Okay, so Lafayette, it starts first, it starts with a little quote from a song. 
happens to be Graham Parsons. Oh, no kidding. That's <laughs> a good. We're not afraid to ride. We're not afraid to fly. So come on wheels. Take me home today. Okay. Graham Parsons. Okay, Lafayette, November 1991. And there's also pictures in here. It's a painting I did of a, from a photograph of my mom sitting on top of a piano drinking. She claims that it was Pepsi. <laughs> November 1991. I got a call from an old friend asking me to join him in Burbank. They, I was living in Austin at the time. That doesn't really matter. They needed me to play piano tracks on an album with a band from New Zealand. So in December of 1991, after returning to Austin and moving out, leaving the boyfriend and the cats in the blue stucco house on Grayson Lane, with the newspapers stacked to the ceiling, and the smell of oil paint and burnt wood in the living room, and the dusty bottles of Goo Goo Cluster liqueur and Elvis Coca-Cola, I flew the 1,228 miles to Burbank, California. The plane took off. There was a loud bang. The man next to me said, it's a blowout. A blowout on a jet plane? I supposed it could happen. It had happened to me once in my Mercury while driving from Lafayette to New Orleans, and it made a similar sound. I had spent the night on a friend's sofa after playing a show with the Blue Runners in Lafayette. The drummer's girlfriend convinced me to stay the night and probably save my life. I had been about to traverse the 20-mile Atchafalaya Causeway that runs part of the distance between Lafayette and Baton Rouge, and she stopped me. She made me stay over at their house. I will always be grateful to this woman whose name I had forgotten. It was moments after, crossing, after having crossed this concrete bridge over the swamp that my left rear tire blew. I spun off the road and narrowly missed a light pole. Had this happened either at night or on the causeway itself, I would have been instant prey. Late breaking afterthought. Somewhere in there, there was another blowout, a flat tire, a slowdown of some kind involving wheels that were supposed to take me someplace to which I never arrived. Maybe I was just late. There's a, I'm late a lot. <laughs> I do know there were three because after the three incidents involving my way being diverted, I went to see my friend Ava K. Jones. She's a priestess. She told me, Legba is fucking with you. <laughs> see, his number is three. She told me what to do, and I did it, and it is only recently that I have had a couple of roadblocks in my path. One more, and I might just have to repeat Ava Kay's instructions. Oh yes, I wrote them down. That's the end of that one. So, and then there's a picture of a boxcar here. Was it a blowout on the plane? <coughs> yeah, it was. They, they, it was after they took off, and so then, um, you know, the they tire had to blew land on three tires instead of four. Or whatever. Oh my God. <laughs> really loud though, because I mean, I was sitting in the middle of the plane, so mm. it's really loud. E, e, what is E? Exile. Okay, well, I'm near the end, and I just ain't got the time. I'm wasted, and I can't find my way home. <laughs> Steve Winwood. New Year's Day 2004. I can still see the gaping mouth of the Penske truck. Kip and I spent New Year's Eve packing as much as we could of our Texas life into its 20-foot interior. It took two days and two nights, 
because we had 25 cubic feet worth of stuff. We left a lot of things behind, including my sofa where we'd had our first kiss. It was 80 degrees January 2nd when we left Dripping Springs. That morning, the electric hot pot quit working. I knew that it would be good to live near my sister, and I knew it would be correct to finish my bachelor's degree, abandoned so many times in fits and starts. But on moving day, I had woken up crying, confused, unsure of why we were leaving Texas, and now we couldn't even make coffee. And we planned every meal on our journey around boiling water. Powdered soup, powdered mashed potatoes, instant oatmeal. So on the way to Arkansas, we stopped at a Walmart in Marble Falls and got a replacement. Four nights on the road and no restaurants. That was our plan. And with the exception of one night in Terre Haute, when we treated ourselves to a luxurious dinner at a restaurant in an antique Victorian house, we stuck to it. The rental truck, overloaded and pulling a car trailer, would not exceed 50 miles an hour. We had to drive with the flashers on for five days running. <laughs> it was terrifying, like a nightmare you can't wake up from. Missouri was the worst state, until we got to Ohio, where the snow hit us full force. Like out-of-control gothic monsters, 18-wheelers lived sideways on the exit ramps, and all we could see were two narrow tracks of asphalt. In those five days, we drove 1,416 miles into an inhospitable territory full of winter. When I say that for us, Western New York State was exile, I have to qualify the concept of exile. It doesn't have to be a geographic exile. It is not the severe exile that confronted the people I know who had to leave New Orleans after Katrina and could not go back. Nor is it the same kind of exile native New Orleanian Paul Sanchez found himself in back then, an exile within his ravaged hometown, as he put it, I can't find my way around the city by sight anymore. Having moved to Western New York State, I would say that what Kip and I experienced was more like an exile from comfort, from kindness, from people we knew and worked with. Musicians, troubadours, whatever you call them, these were our tribe's people. Most of all, they were people who understood us and knew our minds. As my old pal Tommy Malone once put it, I understand you, Lisa, every time. Or Jimmy Dale, who, when he told me it would be good to see my face, and I told him, it's right here on the front of my head, he said, that's why I like you, Lisa, you're weird like us. <laughs> Sometimes in life, when we think we are nostalgic for a place we once lived, I think it is a time that we miss and not necessarily the place. Like Wordsworth's spots of time. But there was more to it for us in Rochester. After all, we really did love being with family there. It was the place itself that clawed at us. Finally, I have to argue that that place, Western New York, felt like a hostile country. It reminded me of Richard Brodigan's description of the typical Mexican border town. It combined the worst qualities of two regions, in this case, the Midwest and the Northeast. There seemed to be a hardness, a repellent quality to many of the people we encountered in that region. Take the people who sold us our house. One hour before closing, we found them carrying armloads of green apples from the backyard tree and dropping them into the trunk of their Buick. 
Yes, maybe those apples still belong to them, but this was July. The apples would not be ripe until, ripe until late August. So this was an act of deliberate spite, a curse possibly. Where did such animosity come from? Maybe it was the weather, but it wasn't the weather. People seemed wary, angry, desperate. You couldn't blame them really. They're driving on their spare donut tires and getting their groceries from the dollar store, just like here. Mm. I mean, we do that too. So. Yeah. Buying gas a gallon at a time. More than once I had the thought, it's too bad that cars don't run on rage. Mm. And the relatively well-off seemed to be even more fearful. They were worse, mm. as if they would take any steps needed to protect themselves and their families from contact with their impoverished fellow citizens. Maybe the worst part of that whole episode was that I had yanked my husband away from a decent job and regular gigs back in Texas. I had yanked us both away from long walks and a screen porch on warm nights. I regretted these intangible losses as we shoveled snow and scraped ice from the windows, even more than I regretted selling my house and leaving my dog with my ex-boyfriend. I used to wake up in tears having dreamed of my old house in Austin, so it seems Exile contains regret, and I think one of the cornerstones of exile is the sheer intractability of it. You can't reason with it, and you can't go back. And then I have a picture of a church. Wow. Thank you. Have you ever wondered why people live in the desert? I'm Dawn Davis, and I host Desert Lady Diaries podcast. It's a weekly conversation with women who found their home in the Mojave Desert. Each week, I talk to women who were either born and raised in the desert or felt called to come here and what the desert means to them. You can learn more about the podcast and listen at DesertLadyDiaries.com. This song is called Face in the Crowd, and I'm... When I lived in New Orleans, I was in this band called The Song Dogs. We recently reunited and recorded an album. This, this was in like in the 80, 80s, second half of the 80s. We, we uh, roamed the streets and clubs of New Orleans. And, um, cheese with that. <laughs> and uh, I wrote this song Basically, about when I thought Reagan should be impeached. <laughs> what do we get? It's like that. So it's from that time. <clears throat> we re-recorded it now. Take some names, wake the dead, 
Make them tell everything they know And we will sing so clear And we will laugh so loud Until that day I know my place Just another face facing the crowd A little, oops, facts and figures are all I have to give. I don't look beyond what I need to live. Battery's running out. <laughs> but there's a heart behind these eyes. One of these days gonna quit telling lies. For now, I just do my job. For now, I just live my life. I live my life. One day soon, I'm gonna blow the whistle. Can you hear the whistle blow? I'll take some names, wake the dead, make them tell everything they know. And we will sing so clear And we will laugh so loud Until that day I know my place Just another face facing the crowd This is where the guitar solo is <laughs> A little bit of green Gets passed around the pressure goes up and the blinds come down. The world divides into targets and guns. I run for cover at the slightest sound. A shaft of light from a high, high window. I want to ride, but my hands are tied. I can't even point my finger. There's nowhere safe, the geese won't hide. One day soon I'm gonna blow the whistle. Can you hear the whistle blow? I'll take some names, wake the dead, make them tell everything they know. And we will sing so clear. I know my place, just another fake face in the crowd. I want to be the man who changes things, live like a spirit, I want my wings. I want to be the man who changes things, live like a spirit, I want my wings. I want to be the man who changes things Live like a spirit, I want my wings wow. So, there's that. Sorry, <laughs> right, I was... My father has 
had lived in LA since like mid 70s. And um, we used to come out here with, when I was young. And then Kip lived in LA for a while and he used to come out here too. So we kind of had this in common. So we started looking at places to live and we found the house we wanted in 29 Palms. 